How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. So, little bit different thing going on. I am piloting a new idea. We're going to do a second weekly episode that's going to be a little more informal and a little more Q&A based and still give me an opportunity to give some updates on how my training is going and all that kind of stuff. And we'll see we'll see what people like and what people don't. But this is the first of those episodes. So I'm actually doing these episodes as live YouTube episodes where I will basically, I log on and I do it live and we have a live chat. I'm recording this after the episode has already been hosted. So we had a pretty good turnout this week. Podcast went for about an hour. I originally only thought it was going to go for half an hour, but there was lots of good questions coming in. So I just kept the podcast rolling. Um, But I wanted to get out in front of that and kind of tell you about that now because this isn't the typical podcast, you know, interview base that I'm used to. But I would really like your guys' feedback on this. What did you like about this format? What don't you like about this format? One of the things I'm thinking is I would love to have some guests come on this with me so that it can be a bit more of like a laid back, just banter, answer some questions, kind of bullshit, hang out kind of podcast instead of like the more formal interview ones that my channel has kind of become known for. So I hope you like this episode. And if you have any feedback for me, shoot me a DM on Instagram, mindful underscore hunter, or uh, shoot me an email, jmindfulhunter.com. And as always, if you could gauge in the platform with any way, you know, likes, comment, share, subscribe, I would be greatly appreciative. And I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, perfect. Okay, I've posted it to Instagram. I'll be a little bit more organized from now on about these. Um, and I And I think too, potentially, I'm going to try and have some guests pop into these. Cause like I've wanted to have more people just be on the podcast just to like hang out. But the whole like formal interview style makes that a little bit tricky because you want to have somebody back on for a second time, but it's like, I don't know if I, if there's really a whole second interview to do here, but like some dudes, you just kind of want to like hang out and stuff. So once I get the kinks worked out with this, um, Once I get the kinks worked out with this, then I'll then I'll be able to um, kind of have some people on. I'm gonna have to figure out how to do this because now the chat's like kind of distract me. That's all right. We're gonna get this sorted out. I appreciate you guys coming in. I appreciate you guys saying hello. I wasn't even sure if anybody was gonna pop on for the live bit of it. Um, okay, let's give a little bit of background. Why exactly did I decide to? Um, to add a second show and what is, what's the goal of the second show. So when I originally started the podcast over a year ago, I didn't want to have to rely on doing interviews all the time, primarily because it was a shitty little podcast. It was just me and I didn't even know if anybody would come on and be interviewed. Um, Plus one of my general rules in life is rely on as few people as possible and you will be disappointed as little as possible. And so I did the whole thing myself. The first, I don't even know, man, like 20 something episodes are just me, you know, talking into a a camera about gear and, and, and other shit. And I really liked it and had a blast, but then it started getting bigger and people started to be willing to come on. And one of the things that I kind of started to lose was this, like, it's also a platform for me to share with you guys kind of where I'm at, what I'm into, different things I'm trying, different things I'm going through. And the more often I was having guests on, the less I was able to spend time doing that and the less like direct engagement and feedback and stuff I was I was getting from you guys. So I don't even know how it came up, but like just the other night, I thought to myself, you know what I kind of stole this from? Actually, I am remembering it is... Andy Stump's Full Auto Friday. So Andy Stump has a podcast. It's called Cleared Hot. And he runs it once a week and he has a guest on. But then he has a second episode on Fridays that he calls Full Auto Friday. 
And on full auto Friday, he basically picks like three to five questions out of a bag and spends like 20 to 30 minutes answering them. And it's a second episode, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit less formal. So that's what gave me the idea for this is that I could do, I could hop on. I want to keep these things less than 30 minutes. I'm going to do, uh, let's, we'll keep with this Monday night at nine o'clock. It seems to work for the people who bothered uh, to show up. So I feel like it's a little bit late for me. Like I'm not firing on all cylinders right now, but fuck it. Let's do it anyways. Um, and the point being, it should be like quick, easy, low production. I don't bother with the big camera and all the gear. I'm not over in my big studio. I'm just going to sit down in front of my computer I'm going to give you guys an update as far as what's going on with the week. And uh, is my buddy, first thing I want to say, is my buddy Darren in here? He probably signed in under some asshat nickname. Um, I think Darren has logged in. Anyways, for everybody listening, my, my good buddy Darren just went on kind of a once in a lifetime BC goat hunt and he smoked an absolute toad today. And... If anybody wants to see, and I'll get better at this too. I need to, um, uh, I'll do the screen sharing thing next time so that I can, uh, hang on. I'm going to turn up my mic a little bit because it looks like it's coming in a little quiet. See if that's a little bit better. Um, I'll have it set up next time so that I can post pictures and do screen sharing and do all that kind of stuff. But um, if everybody goes to his Instagram, it's all one word. It's shooting on the daily. So S H O O T I N O N the daily shooting on the daily all one word. Yeah. Brother just smoked a, a beast of a goat, Northern BC, absolute beauty. He's a bit of a long range gun nut. And I say that in the most loving way possible. And we're going to get him on the podcast so that we can have a good conversation about kind of long range shooting and also kind of break down this um, goat hunt of his. So anyways, yeah, that's the little news. Now, as far as we're going to, we're going to get to the Q and a, but first things first is I'll give a little bit of update of what's, what's going on for me this week. So where are we at right now? Well, let's take, let's take it even step. Let's, let's back up one more step. We kind of give a shit about two things on this podcast, bodybuilding and hunting. Other stuff too, but those are kind of like the two things that I tend to spend the most of my time talking about. So some of you know, I have a bodybuilding show coming up. It's on July 9th. So we're 22 weeks out from the show right now. So I'll give a little update. And then I have two, well, three main hunts planned so far for this year and nothing going on in the spring. So we got solo sheep happening in August. We got a family caribou hunt happening in September. And then it looks like everything's dialed in for me to do archery whitetail in Alberta late November. Um, so I'll give a quick update as far as, far as um, how preparation is going for all those hunts and, and everything else. But first off bodybuilding show. So here was what originally was going on is that I was shooting for a show on Vancouver Island. That was in, it was like May 7th or something is 12 or 13 weeks. Now my coach said, no, you're too far out. We don't have enough time. You got to pick a later show. So I pushed shit back I picked a show July 9th, so I'm 22 weeks out. So the goal is we need 16 weeks to do the actual prep. And so the next six remaining weeks, yeah, that's right math, right? Six plus 16 is 22. It works for me. We're going to be recomping. So recomping is essentially when you keep your calories relatively close to maintenance, and you hope to shed a little bit of body fat and put on a little bit of muscle. There's a bunch of controversy about recomping because most people feel like you should dedicate yourself one way or the other. You're either in a bulking phase or you're in a cutting phase. 
And I would agree that that's the most efficient way to do about it. But when you're, when you're getting ready to go into one of these preps, you almost want a little bit of period of stability first. Like you're trying to get your body kind of back healthy and kind of, you, you want to enter into these things optimally because they're pretty brutal from what I understand. This is my first one, but half the reason I'm doing it is just because of how brutal it is. I don't even, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get it. I'm going to end up looking, but the whole point is just to try and go through this kind of ridiculous process for the suffering of it all. So anyways, the whole thing started out pretty rocky. I ended up injuring my back. I had a bunch of other problems. I was behind the eight ball and then everything kind of slowly started, you know, clicking into place. And I'll say right now I'm feeling better than I have um, the entire time. Um, the diet is on point. My diet hasn't switched for the last three weeks. I've weighed 267 pounds at each check-in for the last three weeks. Um, everything is, is kind of going according to plan. So, um, the one thing and whatever, like let's, the whole point of this is to be transparent about it. So I've shared before that, Yes, I'm on gear for this competition. I've been on TRT for the last four years. And yes, I'm ramping that up. I'm not going to get super specific because I'm not an expert in this field and it's not my place to give people recommendations for this kind of shit. But I do want to be transparent with where I'm at. So we did introduce some orals. Now, again, I'm not going to get super into the weeds, but orals are more hepatoxic than non-oral steroids, which means they're, uh, they're worse for your liver. Um, and so you need to be careful with them and, and they don't agree with everybody. And the one thing that I did notice is that my appetite started going for a shit and I started feeling like mildly nauseous. Um, and so I, I took them out and I took them out maybe three days ago and everything's kind of started to get back to, to where they are. And I've just gone back to my normal stack the way it is. So um, one of the reasons I share this is that I think there's a common misconception that like orals are like a light version of steroids. And a lot of people will start, well, I'll just do some D-ball and they feel like they're not really going on a full cycle and you, you should realize that actually the orals are worse for you than the injectable ones um, because they have to be metabolized by your liver where, where, where the injectables go directly into your bloodstream. So anyways, that was the learning little learning lesson from the past couple weeks that, um, yeah, my system didn't really like those. So I, I took them out and we'll find another way to solve that particular problem. Um, somebody's asking in the, in the chat, no spring bear. Spring bear is a, is, is up in the air, man. It's really going to depend where I'm at with prep because prep is four months long. I really had no choice, but to sacrifice at least one of my hunting seasons, like winter, summer, or fall, like something was going to get and, and going over everything. Spring bear was the one that I was like the least disturbed to lose. I mean, I love spring bear, but I also get to do a lot of spring bear. I've, I've shot more bear than anything else. So I don't feel like, you know, I've had a lot of opportunity and I'll have a lot more opportunity. So depending on where I'm at with the prep, I may, I may do spring bear. I may not do spring bear. We'll see. Um, Another, sorry, I'm just filling with my volumes here. I'm trying to get it so that it sounds, sounds good. We'll get all these kinks worked out for next time. What I may do is some day hunting for spring bear, which is what I used to do just out of Vancouver, you know, drive up to Hope for a day, go to Squamish for a day. Also a, a couple of people, one dude in particular at the gym has hit me up and him and his boy um, have never been out hunting and he, and he would like to get out. And I thought to myself, this would be a really excellent opportunity. I could do maybe three or four day hunts over the course of the season and try and grab somebody different each time and, and maybe get some people out who haven't had a chance to, to get out. And that would still allow me to like stick on my diet and do all the things that I would normally do 
but still not only also get out and hunt, but also um, kind of share the love and, and get some people out hunting who haven't had a chance to get out hunting before. So I think that's currently the plan. Also, I always go up to Landers and Landers, you know, kind of been shut down for the last two years with COVID and he's going to have a shitload of hunters going up there this year. And I don't, I don't want to be an imposition on him. So, um, I may, uh, oh, there's Darren there. I wonder how delayed this chat is. Um, yeah, Darren's going to pop by and, and tell me all about the hunt. But anyways, I don't want to be in a position when he's got a shitload of hunters up there, which would mean I'd have to go hunt somewhere else too. Um, even though he'd probably invite me up, I still don't, I don't feel right. He's got, he's got a lot of hunters and he needs to, they should be the ones hunting. I'll go figure out someplace else to hunt. Um, all right. We're, we're, we're kind of drifting here and I'm ranting and, and, and everything a little bit. So let's kind of get into the Q and A. And I think for next week, here's my commitment with these live Q and A's. We're going to do this for two months. Um, I firmly believe that you have to, in business development, there's this thing called a minimum viable product. And anytime you're launching a new product to market, you want to first develop a minimum viable product. And this is like the cheapest, easiest version of the product that's still a strong enough representation of your product that you can actually test it out in the market. And I don't believe that me just doing this once or twice is going to, is going to test it thoroughly enough for us to figure out if this is a worthwhile endeavor, adding a second episode. So my commitment to everybody is that I'm going to do this uh, every Monday for eight weeks. And if at the end of the eight weeks, we, we all think there's value in it, you guys are liking it, I'm liking it, it's good to go, then I'll keep doing it. If we get to the end of the week, end of the eight weeks, and it, you know it didn't really serve a purpose, and nobody's really getting a bunch of value from it, then we'll scrap it and we'll look at other ways we can we can deliver value to the community. But during that eight weeks, I'm going to try some different things, and we might, you know, the formats might be a little bit different. Maybe one week I'll just pick a topic and just riff on it for half an hour, like you know, tents or bivvies or something like that, and then the next week will be a more full blown Q and A. Suffice it to say, we will run with this for eight weeks and then we'll decide what we're going to do at the end of those eight weeks. And like I say, I also want to make sure and have some some guests on um, because I think this would be a fun format to have just a few guys kind of sit around and bullshit um, and answer some and answer some questions. So I'll work on having that maybe even for as early as as next week. But we've already burned 20 minutes here. And that's the other thing. All these will be going up on the podcast stream. So if you're, you know, listening to this on the audio and it's, you know, a little fragmented or doesn't make a whole lot of sense, remember that the primary place for this is going to be the live podcast and the kind of secondary home from it will be the replayed audio podcast on the typical channel. But I'm going to title them differently. So the main podcast will still be the, the Mindful Hunter podcast and it'll, you know, have the typical titles with the guests and stuff. And I'll find another naming convention for these ones, like maybe Monday night live or, or something like that. Just so if these episodes aren't your cup of tea, you're not, you don't got to listen to the first five minutes to realize it's something that you're not interested in. All right. Um, and if anybody's got any other questions that they want to pop in the, in the chat, um, go nuts and I'll, um, We'll try and get to all of them. All right. I'm going to start at, uh, at the bottom and work my way up. All right. So Matt Brown says, uh, might already be on a podcast, but it'd be interesting to hear how much you are investing in your health and fitness. And it's like, this is a pretty deep rabbit hole and probably a, like a, an embarrassing question to answer. Um, especially given the fact that I'm about to go into prep. And I was talking to my wife about this earlier tonight because she spends a shitload on her health and fitness too. Like she has multiple yoga memberships and does all kinds of stuff. And because it, it's part of what keeps her happy. But I was just trying to think of it like, let's just walk through and kind of add this up. If we're going to put everything under health and fitness and let's keep this limited to the next six months. Cause that's kind of like the prep. And I can basically forecast all of the costs from now until the end of 
prep. So gym membership, I'm gonna, I've got a little spreadsheet here open. We'll add these up as we go. So gym membership is 50 bucks a month. I've committed to doing a massage one time a week for the next six months while I'm going through this prep. Cause the one thing that I do terribly is like soft tissue work and stretching and taking care of myself while I train. And I end up blowing shit out and getting injured because I don't take enough time to warm up. So I committed to one massage a week. So that's 115 bucks per week. Now I wonder like food shouldn't really go in here because you're going to eat no matter what. I'm sure I eat more because I'm a bodybuilder, but I also eat a whole shitload of chicken and rice, which is cheaper than what most people eat. So let's just leave the food out of it. Now, what other elements are going to go in there? Okay, let's talk about gear. And I'm not going to get into the exact stack, but let's call gear... 250 bucks a month. And then health supplements, I added this up the other day and it's 400 bucks a month. Now, this is like stuff for your liver and your kidneys and your heart and a whole whack of stuff. Um, And I'm also going to put, because it goes in most people's prep, we're going to put growth hormone here. And in Canada, you can get growth hormone prescribed to you by a um, naturopath. So it's like, you don't even need to be a medical doctor to prescribe growth. Most people don't realize that. Um, It's actually super easy to get growth hormone in Canada. Anyways, if you were going to take two IUs of growth every single day in Canada, that would run you about 500 bucks a month. So we're going to put that in there too, because that would normally be included in it. Now I'm trying to think, what else do I spend on health and fitness? Let's put a hundred bucks a month in there for like clothes and gear. Cause I do like to buy new shit for the gym. I just bought a pair of squat shoes the other day. And I think if you amortized what I buy on average over the course of six months, I'm probably averaging a hundred, a hundred bucks a month. And then Let's see where that brings us to. <laughs> All right. So that's that's 1400 bucks a month. And then let's multiply that by six. Goes this times this. So $8,500. Shit. So... I've heard a lot of people say it costs about 10 grand to go to do a legitimate prep if you do it right. Like if you take care of yourself, if you do the right blood work, if you're if you're taking the right supplements, if you're taking the right drugs, um, it costs anywhere, you know, let's call it eight to 10 grand to do one of these things. I think there's cheaper ways to do it, but I also think you are jeopardizing your health. Now, with all that being said, I've also, you know, when I'm not bodybuilding and I'm just preparing to hunt and stuff, my health and fitness is literally next to free because I'm doing backpack cardio. I'm doing kettlebell workouts at home. I already own all my training gear. So I do think, I don't think it would be safe to say that like I'm spending eight to 10 grand every six months year after year after year. I think this is a bit of an anomaly, but the reason I use this as an example is because I also think it's kind of ridiculous and kind of fun to to like, you know, I'm lucky. I work hard for a living. I do pretty well for myself. And if I want to blow 10 grand to, to get shredded inside out and get on my underwear and a, on a stage, I mean, fuck it. I'm going to do it. I think it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so there it is. Um, Oh, Bob, Thank you for checking in the knee. So this is very interesting. So what I at first thought was an MCL tear. And to be honest, I've not had any any imaging done of the knee. So I don't know. I only can speculate based on 
how recovery is progressing and the different feedback I've had from a couple different practitioners, I had two very strong theories. One was a moderately torn MCL and one was patella tendonitis. And the, the symptoms that I was experiencing, could, they were like, they didn't fit perfectly either diagnosis, but they, um, I'm just going to move this up, but, but they, but they were both partially explained by each, um, by each diagnosis. So that being said, between, you know, taking care of myself with the massages like I've been doing, and then being very careful with the way that I train, I am extremely relieved to report that I've had some legitimate um, uh, progress with the knee. I'd say I'm at about, I want to say 70%. I still can't go to full flexion. So I can't, so for instance, if you think of a squatting motion, I can go down to about parallel. If I get any deeper than parallel, um, I start to get pretty severe pain in the one knee. Like I can't, you know, if you're going to take a dump in the woods and you know how you like squat right down ass to grass, I still can't do that because compressing the knee like that still really hurts. But every day I feel like I'm getting a couple of degrees lower and this is the best I've felt since September. So I was, it was stressing me out hardcore because I didn't know how it was going to go for the, um, bodybuilding show. Like if you can't train legs, I don't know how you're expected to look half decent and legs have always been one of my strong suits. So to have them kind of wither away on me, it was, it was messing with my head. And then the second thing was the sheep hunt. I got a sheep hunt in August and I was like, you know, if this keeps acting up, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hike the way that I need to hike. But I feel very confident now that as long as I keep training responsibly, like no hero bullshit, I think my leg, my knee is going to be, is going to be just fine. So thanks for checking in, Bob. I appreciate that. Um, Clunes Adventures asks, do you know of any company with single servings packs of greens in Canada? I think there might be two. I think Athletics Greens sells single serve packs. I can find mention of them on the internet, but I can't actually find them on the website. So maybe they've discontinued them. And then I asked my wife about this tonight and she thought Vega might offer... Um, individual greens packs. Here's what I want to know. I want greens in pill format because I'm going to be brutally honest with you here. I always pack my greens in individual little tiny Ziploc bags, you know, like little dime bags you'd buy a gram of weed when you're a kid. That's normally, and I pour them in myself with this little funnel. I only end up using about half of them when I go on a backcountry hunt because it, it is such a pain in the ass to um, put them in your Nalgene because it gets it dirty and sometimes water's on a short supply. Anyways, there's a whole bunch of reasons. And then you're trying to drink some protein powder and you're trying to drink your electrolytes and you're trying to drink your greens and you're not going to put those all in together. And like, anyways... I was thinking the other day what they need to come out with. And I don't even care if it's like seven or eight pills. Like it, it could be a handful of pills for all I care. I just want something that I don't have to put in a bottle and stir around with water. I just want to be able to chuck a handful of pills in my mouth and get my green supplement in the backcountry. So if anybody's come across something like that, please let me know. Um, otherwise, who knows? Maybe the mindful hunter will have to branch out into making uh, supplements. Okay. Dan's got a question. Looking to spend 3K on a spotter. What's your personal opinion on what to buy? Leaning towards the Swaro 20 uh, to 60 by 65 mil, but also I've heard the Zeiss Conquest Gavia 85 mil is pretty legit. Okay. I'm going to give you a couple different options here. I personally haven't looked through the Zeiss Conquest Gavia. I have, I did own the Zeiss Conquest 
binoculars. And I will say the glass was quite, quite nice, but the, um, shit, the words escaping me right now starts with an E, you know, like, um, anyways, the way that they were made and the way that you handled them was kind of piss poor. And I, I was a little bit disappointed that that was the best that, you know, Zeiss could come up with the eye caps came off and that stuff. So my concern with the conquest Gavia spotter would be that the glass would be half decent, but the, the housing, um, would, would be subpar. So what I would actually probably lean towards is buying a used piece of alpha glass. Um, I know a lot of sheep guides who run the 65 millimeter. And I think if you're comfortable running that Swaro 65 millimeter, I think that's worth looking into. For me, there was a big difference in the clarity when you started getting up into those 85 and 95 mils. Like when you look at actual surface area of a 65 millimeter spotter compared to, you know, even like a 12 by 50 bino or a 10 by 42 bino, they're actually very similar surface area. And I can't do the math on the back of my head, but you might actually have more surface area with two 10 by 42s than just one, one by 65. If that, if, if I'm making any sense, like the actual surface area of glass. And the reason that that's important is that the amount of light that you're capable of gathering through the optic is limited by that the, the, the size of that lens. And so I found for me, 65 mils just didn't grab as much light. And I'm still a novice when it comes to a lot of um, really fine glassing technique. Like if we're going to talk like aging sheep or, or picking out like really nice mule deer from me, from each other, like here's what, here's what my thing. I need all the help I can get. And so I decided to buy the biggest spotter I could get because that way I know that if I can't figure it out with that spotter, it can't be figured out. Now, if you were more comfortable, if you'd spent more time glassing, if you'd looked at more sheep, I think, I think you'd probably totally get away with a 65 mil. I think, I think a lot of sheep guides do, and I think they do very good at it. And I think it's also a lot lighter. Like the one thing that I will say about my 95, my Zeiss Harpia is like, that thing is a pig, man. Like it's a pig. And when I'm going through my pack, trying to shave weight, and I'm looking at this almost six pound spotter by the time I put the neoprene sleeve on it. And it's like, I don't know what the 65 mil is, but I think it's, it, it, it's probably at least two pounds lighter than the 95 mil. So like, let's say, let's say you would, you would get, here's the two options that I'm going to put forth. I don't like beta glass. I like alpha glass. And the best piece of advice I ever got is you know, all these budget questions, like I've got this much, what do I do? The answer is save up more to get what you want. But I think with three grand, I think you're real close to like a reasonable budget for a, for a spotting scope. And I would say either get that swirl 65 mil or get a used piece of alpha glass, like the ATX 85 or 95 from Swaro or the Zeiss Harpy in 95. Now here's another, I'll give you another piece of unsolicited advice. I do love my Harpia. I do think I've run it side by side, the ATX, and I still do like my Harpia better than the ATX. What I really like about the ATX system is that you could buy one eyepiece and you can switch between lenses. Okay. So let me, let, let, let me break that down. When you get the Zeiss Harpia, you got to buy the main body of the spotting scope. Let's call it five grand. Then you got to buy an $800 
eyepiece. Now you have a $6,000 scope. And those two pieces only ever go into each other. I don't even think you can use the eyepiece for the 95 on the 85. With the ATX system, you can buy one eyepiece and then you can put the 85 mil attachment on the end or you can put the 65 mil attachment on the end. So the nice thing about that is you only got three grand right now. So go buy the ATX 65 mil and then down the road, you know, you, you save up a little more cash you're all, and they're, they're about half each. Let's say they're 2,500 bucks for the eyepiece and 2,500 bucks for the lens. It's not exactly that, but it's close in Canadian. What you could then do is just go buy the 95 and now you have a fully modular system. So when you are, uh, when you are going super deep and need to stay ultra light, stick with that 65 mil. When you do, um, a little closer to the road or your truck hunting down in Arizona or something, grab the 95 mil. So anyways, long-winded answer. I think I would probably do either a used 85 or 95 or a brand new 65 if I had three grand in my pocket. I will tell you, I've never regretted buying my Zeiss Harpia. The other thing is I've sold all my other binoculars and I only own the NL Pure 12 by 42s. First, I had like shitty Vortex. Then I bought the Razer HD 12 by 50s, sold those. Then I bought the Zeiss Conquest 10 by 42s, sold those. Then I bought the Zeiss Victory 10 by 42s. Then I bought the Swaro 15 by 56s. And I thought the combo of that, um, Zeiss Victory 10 by 42 paired with the Swaro 15 by 56 was going to be my combo for life. Like to me, that was just the perfect pair of binoculars. And then I ran the 12 by 42s and I was like, you don't need both. The 12 by 42 NL Pures, in my opinion, take the best characteristics of that 10 by 42 alpha glass and the 15 by 56 kind of beta glass because the SLC is not of the same caliber as the EL. Um, and so I sold both of those. So I've literally bought and sold whatever that was, six or seven pairs of binoculars to work my way all the way up to the, to the NL Pure 12 by 42. And so and I kind of did the same thing with a swatting scope, except the only other one I bought, I bought the Razor HD 65 mil, and it was a piece of shit. Um, and the Razor HD binoculars are actually pretty decent, but the Razor HD spotting scope is a piece of shit. Um, sold it and told myself I was never buying another spotting scope until I could get like an alpha spotting scope. So I don't think you will ever regret buying alpha glass. Okay. Um, Oh, this is great. We got lots of questions coming in here. Okay. So Fred says he's going to get himself a Nalo three vestibule or not. I do mostly mountain backpacks. So I'm afraid of the trouble of finding the appropriate footprint. Well, here's the other thing with a Nalo three A Nalo three is a hell of a lot of tent for, um, for one dude. Now, if you're going to be two people, um, I think that that is starting to make sense. And I will say the vestibule on the Nalo and the, um, cause the Nalo is the four season version. And I think it's the onion is the three season version. Let me pull this up real quick. This is why we need to do, I'll do screen sharing for next year. So for next week, so that you guys can kind of follow along as I, as I look at stuff. So here's the thing about the, the GT. I wouldn't, if I wasn't going to get the vestibule, I probably wouldn't actually get this tent. And let me, let me backtrack. I did a comparison between the, um, the NIAC and the uh, Nalo 2 GT when we were on a sheep hunt. And you can find that video on my YouTube channel. 
And the thing, the vestibule really changes the game because it, you can cook in there, you can sit in there in the rain, um, and you can do everything. But without that vestibule, there's really no benefit to the Nalo, to the tunnel type tents over the freestanding type tents, like the, um, the Neoc, the Neac, um, Solo, the tents like that. So, and, and, and here's the other thing. I'm going to throw another option at you because this is what I have now done. I prefer a freestanding tent and that can be a somewhat controversial, um, Oh, great. Okay, sweet. Okay, so we got some more information. We're two dudes. Okay, 100%. Um, definitely, you want to run the Nalo 3 because the Nalo 2... The Nalo 2 is tight. Spencer and... Um, Tristan ran the Nalo 2 and they are not big dudes. Like, they're both, like, in the... I, I know I don't insult these guys right now, but they're probably in the 155 to 170 pound. Yeah, they're not even 170 pounds. And they're probably like 5'9-ish. Um, like I'm six foot one, 260. There's no way you're fitting two of me in that Nalo 2. So yeah, realistically, you're going to get you're going to get the, um, the Nalo 3. And if there's two of you, hundred percent get the vestibule because if you don't, you're only going to have to bring a secondary tarp system anyways. And that's, that's the, um, um, secondary idea I was just about to pitch to you. I've gone and bought a secondary tarp. It's a Z-Pax Dyneema, also referred to as Cuban fiber, seven foot by nine foot tarp, and it weighs five ounces. And so what I will be doing this season is kind of building myself off of the tent, this like secondary vestibule, because I did find those little shitty vestibules in like the NIAC and the solo, like you can keep like a dry bag in there or your stove or like a couple things, but you're never gonna, you're never gonna physically use those for things like, um, um, you know, a whole backpack or shit like that. So yeah, super simple, man. If you're two dudes, definitely get the vestibule because if not, you're going to need somewhere else to hold all your gear. And with two dudes, it works really good because there's kind of like two internal walls and you can have one wall each for your backpack and your boots and, and, and all your stuff. Um, all right. Travis says, what would you say is the most important to part to focus on for a first elk hunt in the Kootenays. Okay. I'm going to give you a bit of controversial advice here because I'm not going to give you a piece of advice that is directly related to how to kill an elk on your first year hunting. In fact, I'm going to tell you something in direct opposition to that. You probably won't kill an elk on your first year hunting, especially in the Kootenays. I've still never killed an elk in BC myself. So I'm the last person in the world. Um, go listen to the podcast I did with the BC backcountry boys. Those guys are legitimate fucking killers and they, they smoke them every year. My hat's off to them. They're better men than I. I'm only now, and I was just, I was on the phone with Clay Lancaster maybe like a week ago. And we're talking about my upcoming sheep hunt. And I was sharing with them that I had only just now switched my perspective to be, I am on a journey to kill a sheep. And I kept thinking something was going to get unlocked. Like somebody would give me a spot or somebody would offer to come out with me or I would find an old thread that would it like lead me to this magic place where I would find a sheep and kill it. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that's never going to happen. That's not how it works. And because I don't have generational history in British Columbia, I don't come from a British Columbia family. I don't have these like family spots. Like when you go up North, man, like I haven't hunted the Kootenays a lot, but I've hunted, you know, the Fort Nelson area a lot for elk. 
And when you go up there, there's people who've been literally like hunting the same spot on the Muskwa for like 40, 50, 60 years. And they're like, their kids, kids, kids as kids have been hunting there. And it's like, they've got their shit dialed. And I have nothing but respect for those families. But when you don't have that, you have to realize you still need that. But, but it's going to take time and it's going to take effort. And so what I would do if I were you is try and have like a bigger perspective on it and think this might take a few years. So don't put this pressure on yourself that like I have to pick the perfect spot to go because if I don't bring home an elk this year, this is somehow a failure. And we can have a conversation about, about failure later on, because I do believe it's important to recognize when you fail. And if you come home empty handed, that is a form of failure, full stop. However, what I'm trying to do now with the sheep hunt is like, I'm actually looking at like gigantic areas and thinking like, okay, how many years of flying in to like this quarter of a region, would it take me to cover all this off where then I would like know this area and understand how sheep get around in this area. And it might take five years and I might take five different float plane trips and it might, some years might be good and some years might be bad. So the piece of advice I'm going to give you for your first elk hunt is think about it as more of the first hunt on your way to killing an elk and that the information you're going to gather that first year, it, and who knows, man, you don't, don't let, don't go out there thinking it's okay to just give up and treat it as a scouting trip. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that on a big picture, think of it as the first hunt on your way to kill an elk and treat it as like an information gathering adventure so that when you come back, it will, it will, there, there, you will already have a game plan for next year because you'll understand how the areas you looked at fit in with other areas you didn't get a chance to look at. So just think of it as a more of like a multi-year quest, because to be quite honest with you, and I've hunted elk in, well, two different countries, three different states and one province. And BC, full stop, hardest place I've ever hunted elk in my life. It's brutal. Um, and, and I got a lot of respect for people who kill elk here every year, but it is probably unrealistic for most dudes that don't have like severe ins or family history to, to go out and smoke an elk on their first year. It's just likely not going to happen. Um, so sorry if that wasn't like a super satisfying answer, but I do think it's a matter of pers perspective. Um, all right. T Scott says, Hey there, I'm debating whether or not to bring a thermocell with me for bug control in an upcoming backcountry spring bear hunt here in BC. Do you think it's worth the extra weight? hundred percent, man, hundred percent. Um, thermocells are outstanding. I used them on my, on my last year's bear hunt and I was blown away by how good they are. And they literally weigh west next to nothing. Now, what I will say is there's a bunch of different kind of thermocells that, and that some of them have batteries, some of them don't, some of them run just on the butane and some of them are like fancy and ornamental. They have one specific one. I think it might be aimed at white-tailed deer hunters. It, it almost looks like it has a handle on it. It looks like a little paddle, almost like a ping pong paddle, but like a little bit bigger. Um, and it's very lightweight and it just takes the butane. And that's the one that I would highly recommend getting because you're not going to be carrying around a lot of extra weight. I think the butanes last for 12 hours and the little tabs last for four hours. So if you're going in for a week, you could probably just take three or four of those butanes and maybe a dozen of those, the little blue pads. But I would say 100%, man, because even... It's like a spring bear hunt too. It's like, it's not going to be shitty, crazy weather. Like it's not like a winter hunt. You're probably not going in for 12 days. So you probably only got four or five days worth of food. Like I'm sure you've got, you know, an extra 10 ounces in your pack that you can pack this thermos thermocell. So yeah, man, 100% do it up. Um, 
Oh, Brett says, check out the Gossamer Gear Poly Cairo ground sheet. It's a, it's $11. Is that right? $11. That seems cheap, man. It's four ounces and durable enough for multiple trips. Okay. I love it. The other thing that's nice for a ground sheet is Tyvek. It's basically free from any job site you can find, but it is noisy as hell and doesn't, doesn't last that long. Um, okay. This kind of went on a lot longer than I, than I thought it was going to go on. The goal was to kind of keep this, um, uh, quick and dirty there. There's, I do have more questions, but this is kind of what I was hoping would happen. I, I don't want to put up a Q and a every week cause people get bored of those. So I'm going to save these questions and I will get into these questions next week. And we'll do this exact same thing where, um, I'll do this exact same thing where we'll take questions live and then I'll kind of backfill them with the questions that I have on here in case we run out or whatever. And then, um, if, if for any of you guys who are, are listening to this live or for anybody who's listening to it after the fact, this was a pilot episode. So this is Monday night live. Um, we'll do it again for the next eight weeks in a row. If there's, if there's stuff that you want to see on here, let me know if there's stuff that I did that you was like, that was kind of boring as shit. I don't think we need that anymore. Let me know that too, man. All feedback is good feedback. I might choose to disagree with you. Um, but it doesn't mean I don't want to hear your feedback. Let's talk about that for a second. Like when did it become not okay to disagree with people. Like I'm a Canadian and, and all of a sudden people are treating Canada like it's this place where there's one right opinion. And it's like, I don't care if you are a a white supremacist or like a, a racist black guy or like, there are all kinds of people in this world that I personally think are idiots and I don't agree with any of their opinions, but in my country, all of those people are allowed to voice their opinions. And then it's up to the rest of us educated, thoughtful individuals to realize that they're full of shit and just ignore them or go have conversations with them. This world that we're living in now where like, it's not okay to voice dissent and it's not okay to, to have different opinions from other people because they somehow offend you. I am not okay with, with living in that world. And I don't want anything to do with that. And I'm not going to go on a huge rant because we're all sick of it. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably of the same ilk that I am that, you know, you believe in the right to free speech and you believe that, you know, we should be able to choose certain things with our own society and that things shouldn't be forced upon us. And I'm not going to dive down that rabbit hole about what's happening to Rogan and all that shit. But I just, it would also be remiss of me if I didn't bring up at all, because it's kind of the biggest thing going on right now. Um, so hit me up. You can shoot me a DM mindful underscore Hunter on Instagram. You can shoot me an email jay at mindfulhunter.com. I would love to get some feedback. Um, thanks everybody for, I didn't even know anybody was going to pop in. So that was pretty badass. I'm glad y'all showed up. Um, and hopefully we'll see you next week. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in.